Hello, this is James Stanselman, and welcome to the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Today, we're going to be talking with the author of Remixing Reggaeton, The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico. The author is Petra Rivera-Rideau, and she is an assistant professor of American Studies at Wellesley College. If you know anything about reggaeton music, you're going to know that it's, it's really, it was really popular in the mid-2000s, and it's still popular in some places, and as you know, popular music in the United States kind of comes and goes. But Petra does a great job in kind of researching the popularity of reggaeton, the history of reggaeton, and how race and culture were a factor in the development of reggaeton in Puerto Rico and the United States and some other areas. I think you're going to like this interview. Petra is a great person to talk to. She's, she's very fun and energetic. And uh, she's also going to talk a little bit about some of her future projects that you can get involved with. So don't be afraid to contact her. But without further ado, I'll let you listen to this interview with the author of Remixing Reggaeton on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Hello and welcome again to the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and I have the great pleasure today of being here with Wellesley College professor. She's an assistant professor of American Studies at Wellesley College, Petra Rivera Rideau. And we're going to be talking with her today about her book, Remixing Reggaeton, The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico. And this book is published by Duke University Press. Petra, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. I saw your book listed and I was like, man, this is something good. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, music, it's history, you know, it's culture. And it's, I definitely wanted to have you on the African-American Studies channel to talk with my audience. So thank you also for taking some time with us today from your busy schedule as a big time academic and scholar up there at <laughs> Wellesley. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and again, the book is Remixing Reggaeton. And before we really get into, you know, some of the details of the book, Petra, you know, my audience often likes to know a little bit about the, the, the authors and scholars who write these books. But maybe, you know, go into your background a little bit, you know, where you went to school, uh, you know, your interest in this topic. And if you don't mind, maybe you can also talk with us a little bit about uh, the length of time it took for you to complete this project and what type of research you did. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been really interested in ideas around race and racialization. Mm-hmm. And I um, grew up in the first, until I was about eight or nine in Lorain, Ohio, which is a steel mill town, which sure. with a substantial Puerto Rican population. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood in Lorain. And then I moved to a suburb of New Haven, Connecticut, that was a predominantly white suburb. And those experiences growing up taught me very different uh, ideas about race and how Puerto Ricans are understood uh, racially. And then when I went to college, I went to Harvard, Mm -hmm. and I was very interested, I think like a lot of students, in exploring uh, histories and, and texts that were relevant to my experience as a sure. Puerto Rican person. And at that time, Harvard did not have Latino studies. It had a certificate in Latin American studies, which is sort of the equivalent of a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had African American studies. And my father, when I started at Harvard, my father told me that I had to take Introduction to African American Studies, um, which was taught by Cornell West. Wow. And it was 
an incredible class. Um, it had a huge book list, you know, and I, and I amassed this amazing library of all kinds of really important African-American writers like Carter G. Woodson, Antoni Morrison, Richard Wright, Zora Neale, I mean, the classics. Um, and that really got me interested in African-American studies and interdisciplinary approaches to thinking about race. Right. So I wound up majoring in African-American studies at Harvard. And there they were really, um, they were really encouraging uh, and wanted me, you know, were, were, they were really encouraging in getting me to think about race in Latin America. Okay. I said, Cuba, I was able to do projects about the relationships between African-Americans and Puerto Ricans in the Northeast, mm -hmm. um, long history of collaboration, cultural, political, um, between African-American and Puerto Rican communities. Um, and so that really whet my appetite for this kind of research. And then I went to graduate school at UC Berkeley um, in African diaspora studies. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting because, of course, it's in California, where there's not a substantial Puerto Rican population. Um, but that program at Cal had several important Caribbeanists. So I worked with Percy Hinson in Caribbean studies mm -hmm. uh, and Jocelyn Gilbo, who's an ethnomusicologist of the Caribbean. And also that department had a uh, strong cultural studies and interdisciplinary focus. Mm -hmm. um, and so I also worked with Lee Rayford, who does work on African-American visual culture um, and does a lot of work on cultural studies. So they advised my dissertation, which became this book. Um, but the other thing that was interesting and unexpected about Berkeley was at the time there was a group of us graduate students who were very interested in race in Latin America. Um, and we started a group called the Afro-Latino Working Group. And um, there was a, we were a small cohort of people, but we wound up having these pretty big conferences for graduate students from around the country oh, okay. and faculty members. And Berkeley became a place that I think people started to think about Afro-Latino studies at Berkeley, which was interesting because there weren't that many faculty doing that, but there were a lot of graduate students. Um, and so that was also very formative for me because I was part of a cohort of people thinking about race and identity in Latin America. Um, and so they were very helpful with my dissertation. And then the other group of people that really mentored this project, there's so many people, but I just also really have to um, talk about Juan Flores and Miriam Jimenez Roman. Mm -hmm. um, so Juan was a, really a pioneer in Latino studies and, you know, theorizing the Puerto Rican experience in the United States, thinking about the relationship between Puerto Ricans and African-Americans and blackness in the Puerto Rican community. And his work was very influential for me. And his partner, Miriam Jimenez Roman, also is an expert in Afro-Latino mm -hmm. studies. And so through my work with the Afro-Latino Working Group at Cal, I developed relationships with them. And they really um, have given me a lot of professional opportunities and really supported my work. So um, so that I, I like to say that because when I went to California, I think some people were like, whoa, why are you studying the Caribbean in California? You know, there's no Caribbean people in California. Hmm. But it really wound up being a very dynamic uh, and fruitful place for me to do this work. And then um, in terms of the dissertation itself and then subsequently the book, I, I did a lot of – I went to Puerto Rico 
I talked to a lot of people over there. I spent a lot of time trying to get in touch with reggaeton artists. Mm-hmm. And I was sometimes successful, but mostly not successful. Um, but I did oh. talk to a lot of people in Puerto Rico about their ideas about race and reggaeton. And I also did a lot of work in New York City, um, oh. particularly at Hunter College, has Centro um, de Estudios Puerto Ricanos, which has a, a, the Center for Puerto Rican Studies has a large archive of Puerto Rican materials, and that was very useful for me. So I kind of went back and forth between those two places which um, to, to get the material for the work. And then I did my dissertation, and I you know bounced around to a few different institutions. And while I was doing that, I was fortunate enough to get a lot of um, support to produce the book manuscript, and here we are. And here we are indeed. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great story, and Really interesting to to me to hear you kind of describe your journey from Ohio <laughs> mm-hmm. to California and you know back now to to Puerto Rico and back to the Northeast. I mean that that's awesome. And I'm here with the author of Remixing Reggaeton: The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico, Professor Petra Rivera Rideau. And she is a professor of American studies and assistant professor of American studies at Wellesley College. And we're on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. And, you know, I'm glad you shared, you know, the process that it that you went through to, you know, conduct your research and, you you know, your personal motivation for it. Because, again, a lot of people, they don't they don't understand that, you know, sometimes when we when we do research and we do these projects, they have some personal meaning for us. And. Yeah, it's also not really easy to get people to want to talk about you know things. You know, people may yeah. be kind of anti-academic or um, untrusting, particularly when you're talking about you know different types of music and you know and cultural aspects. People don't really want to share all the time because they don't trust how you're going to represent them. Um, right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and even though you you know you are Puerto Rican, you know, but you came from the mainland. So they may yeah. have, have viewed it, you know, a, a little differently there. Um, yeah. So maybe let, let's get into, you know, your, your book a little bit. And I guess the first thing we should do, Petra, is maybe explain to some of our listeners what reggaeton is, right? Yeah. For those who may not be familiar. I'm a fan of reggaeton, so, you know, I, I like it. But some may not be as familiar. And then, you know, maybe you can get into some of the important points or, or areas that you want to highlight about your book. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, reggaeton is a form of popular music. Um, it's often described as a kind of hybrid between rap and dancehall reggae. Right. Um, and it is a music that we in the United States often think about, um, you know, probably the first big hit people are familiar with is Gasolina by Daddy Yankee, right. which came out in 2004 and was profoundly successful not only in Spanish language music markets, but also on MTV, on hip hop stations. Um, many people are familiar with that song. Mm-hmm. But reggaeton actually has a much longer history and it's quite a complex one. And one of the things I wanted to do in the book was to highlight that history. Mm-hmm. Um, so reggaeton circulated well, the first thing I should say is, you know, I I wrote my book about reggaeton in Puerto Rico um, for a couple of reasons. One is that many of the artists in the mid-2000s that we thought of as reggaeton singers were from Puerto Rico or of Puerto Rican descent. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, a lot of the very big stars in reggaeton are actually Colombian, but that wasn't the case when I wrote my book. Um, but there actually is also quite a, a bit of... Um, 
beef between different groups about who created reggaeton. Mm. So Panamanians say they created it, Puerto Ricans say they created it, um, and of course there's all these other musical influences from Dominicans, from Jamaicans, from African Americans, sure. from all over. Uh, but I focused on Puerto Rico, like I said, because the artists, um, many of the kind of big time artists were from there. And also I found it, I was really interested in thinking about race relations in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and I found reggaeton um, to be a space where people were interested in talking about racial and class dynamics. Sure. So you were just talking about, about how difficult it can be to talk to people. You know, um, Puerto Rico has historically been a place where people didn't talk about race mm-hmm. and race very much. Um, it is a territory of the United States, but its race relations are more comparable, I think, to many places in Latin America, like Brazil or Colombia, or, or you know, other Spanish Caribbean places like Cuba or Dominican Republic, um, in that Puerto Rico often defines itself as a society that's defined by racial harmony and race mixture. Mm-hmm. So, um, to, that it's a place where everybody is racially mixed and there's no racial problem. Okay. And so when I went to Puerto Rico to talk to people about race, nobody wanted to talk to me about race. Sure. So they were like, that's not a problem here. Or, you know, you grew up in the United States where they have all kinds of racism and so you're bringing that to us and, you know, mm. this doesn't make sense. But I found when I talked to people about reggaeton, they would come up, you know, there would be a lot of, really interesting ways that people were talking about race without talking about race So they would say things about reggaeton artists or fans. They would comment on fashion, hairstyles, um, the communities where reggaeton singers came from, which are often, you know, working class, urban communities, Mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. So I found it to be a really fruitful way to talk about race um, in Puerto Rico. So that's the other reason the book is is from there. But the Mm -hmm. music itself... um, you know, there's a lot of different movements of people across the Caribbean basin and between the Caribbean and the United States mm-hmm. and form the development of reggaeton. So like West Indians going into Panama, West Indians, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans moving into New York and mm-hmm. then Puerto Ricans moving back and forth between the island and New York. Um, there's just, So I detail some of those uh, movements in the book. Um, and so I, I mentioned that because I think that that defining reggaeton can be d- difficult sure, because sure. Um, it depends on where people think it started and things like that. Um, the other place for people who are unfamiliar with reggaeton and they don't know about Daddy Yankee is, you know, um, reggaeton. When I wrote my book, uh, reggaeton, there was what people called the reggaeton bubble. So Daddy Yankee came out with Gasolina in 2004, and then there were a lot of reggaeton acts signed to major record labels mm-hmm. um, and it was really really popular and then people said the reggaeton bubble burst or was bursting around 2007 so there was an idea that it, the, it was um, saturating the music market and people were getting bored with it mm-hmm. and so people kept telling me oh you have to hurry up and finish your book because nobody's going to listen to this music anymore um, and I haven't found that to be true and, and I think one place that reggaeton is really popular is in Zumba classes so it actually ah. <laughs> is one of the four core moves of Zumba. Um, and so many listeners who are Zumba enthusiasts may have heard various Zumba reggaeton songs. <laughs> That's interesting. And so I think people are more familiar with reggaeton than they think. Even um, when I think about like a current pop song, you know, something like Justin Bieber's Sorry 
or mm-hmm. see a cheap thrill, they have a reggaeton type beat in Elements. the back. So right. if they're more familiar with it than they think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but but it's generally considered a combination of rap and dance hall aesthetics, generally sung in Spanish, sometimes with English lyrics peppered in. Um, and it will often incorporate uh, different Latin music um, samples. So there's often a lot of guitar sounds that come from Dominican bachata mm-hmm. um, or maybe some stuff from salsa or mm-hmm. or merengue. So different uh, uh, Latin music genres generally from the Caribbean mm-hmm. based, right? Um, so, and, and yeah, so I, I think that People can find it. Once you start paying attention to reggaeton, I feel like you can find it everywhere. Right. (laughs) It's become, I mean, the the story of reggaeton, that's another thing that fascinated me about about your book, is that the story of reggaeton reminds me so much of of hip hop and and, and rap, you know, the the debate about where it it came from, you know, who who started it. And then the the, uh, slow cultural appropriation to where, you know, hip hop is not even anywhere close to where it was. It doesn't even kind of sound right. the same because it's become yeah. incorporated so much in the popular music. You know, yeah. so it's interesting you said it about, you know, the, the Zumba because the people who you often see in Zumba classes don't look like anyone that you see, you know, in, in Puerto Rico. Oh, or, yeah. mm-hmm. or, They're usually not going to club, reggaeton clubs in San Juan. Yeah. Right. A- it's a- true. A- <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So it's just interesting, you know, how that, you know, that works. Or, you know, even you can look at blues music and gospel and mm-hmm. And how it, it eventually, and R&B, and how you eventually got rock and roll, you know, that, right. you know, right. that, that developed. And then, you know, it comes an, you know, orphan, you know, orphan, orphan, orphan musical style of culture. It's like, oh, where did that come from? You know, what are you talking about? You know, they don't, they don't recognize the connection. And it takes books like yours and, you know, and others for people to kind of trace the history that sometimes gets, gets forgotten. Right. You know, uh, so it's, it's really interesting to me, and, and, you know, in that regard. And I love reggae, reggae tone music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, like you said, maybe 10 years or so ago when it was really popular, you know, I was like, wow, this is awesome. These, these artists from the, you know, from the islands are, you know, really um, becoming big. And, you know, when I was uh, an undergraduate, it was like reggae, you know, you had like Shabba Ranks and, right. you know, yeah. and all these guys coming out of Jamaica. Yeah. It was a similar kind of thing. And it just, it just goes in, in cycles. And I'm here with the author of Remixing Reggae Tone. I know some of you probably are expecting to hear <laughs> That is a really good vocalization of the reggaeton beat. Hey, I've, I told you I had some familiarity with it there. We should yeah. like maybe, I should talk with my, my New Books Network producers and have that running in the background. Yeah. You know, as we go through the interview. But the, uh, the uh, I'm here with the author of the book, Remixing, we're just having some, some fun. Uh, Remixing Reggaeton, The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico. And the author is Petra Rivera Riddell. And the book is published by our friends at Duke University Press. Not my personal friends since I'm a uh, North Carolina Tar Heel, but um, <laughs> our friends at New Books Network. And uh, she, <laughs> Petra is a professor at Wellesley College. Uh, she's an assistant professor of American Studies up there. So if you're in that Connecticut area, you can come by and play some reggaeton music. She might come outside with her notepad and take some notes for her next book, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, it's really interesting. You talk about that, that Colombian and, and some of those outside, I don't want to say outside, but alternate, maybe that's a better way, alternate locations 
um, for, for reggaeton. You know, that may be, uh, I don't know if you thought about it, remixing reggaeton too, T-O-O. Yeah. You know, maybe you can do it. I mean, so reggaeton is an incredibly popular genre of music internationally. Right. You know, I mean, reggaeton artists are performing in Europe. They're having hits in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in Asia. I mean, they're everywhere. And reggaeton scenes are pretty different in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, a lot of the popular artists, J Balvin, Maluma, are coming out of Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really popular artists currently is a Puerto Rican, Dominican person named Nikki Jam, who's actually originally from the Boston, Massachusetts area and then moves to Puerto Rico. And he had a reggaeton career in Puerto Rico, then kind of went away for a little while, moved to Medellin, Colombia, and then came back. And it's incredibly popular. So he's also popularizing this kind of Colombian sound. Um, but there's also scenes, you know, in, in the Dominican Republic has a Dumbo scene. Um, in Cuba, there's mm-hmm. a reggaeton scene. So it's, there are lots of places, and they are all sort of unique. Um, and there's quite a lot of work to be done to document these scenes and think about their impact in their particular locations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's not that many of us who are studying reggaeton. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of room for people who want to go and study these things to do it. There's a lot of potential projects mm-hmm. out there um, to do. So. Well, we, we want you to do some of them, though, Petra, so you yeah. can come back yeah. and, and be back on the African American Studies channel, the New Books Network. Don't give away all the opportunities, okay? Well, I feel like there's so many. I can't do them all <laughs> myself. So we need to recruit some some people, <laughs> some, some, <laughs> some future, some future scholars. Absolutely. Right. You know, so if you're, you know, if you're in Nueva York right now, or, you know, you're a Boricua in, in Puerto Rico, or, you know, some of these other countries, and you don't necessarily have to be a PhD student. I mean, if you have a reggaeton artist in your family, or you really like the music, maybe get out there, like Petra's saying, and, and look at doing some, some research on it, you know, interview yeah. some, some artists, um, you know, go to some shows, and you know, you can do just like Petra, even if it's not reggaeton, it could it could be uh, some other type of music. It could be merengue or, you know, some other type of island music or hip-hop. There's plenty of books out there on hip-hop. Pursue right. your passions, young folk. And, you know, you can grow up and become a, an outstanding Harvard-educated scholar like uh, Petra <laughs> here, right? Yeah. And I, and I just say, like, that's the other reason I, way I got into this project, you know, is that I also like reggaeton. And so I a big fan of studying what you like Absolutely. and what you listen to and, and what's part of your reality. Um, and so I, I think that's also important to point out. I think a lot of people have an impression that many scholars pick topics because they seem appropriate to the academy. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, in reggaeton, you know, it has, as I talk about in the book, you know, it has a reputation for being seedy, you know, Dirty, associated with drugs, associated with hypersexuality. It's not the kind of music that actually one would expect to find, I think, in the academy in a lot of ways. Um, which was the other reason why I was interested in writing. Because <laughs> I was like, why not? You know, why not talk about these things? Um, especially since it's so incredibly popular. Right. So. I mean, all topics, you know, or most every topic is worthy of study. Right. Right. And by the academy, you know, Petra means colleges and universities, places where you find um, scholars like like herself. You know, academy meaning the academic world. Exactly. You know, and reggaeton, just like hip hop or, you know, anything that you like or other people like is certainly worthy of being studied 
academically just like any, you know anything else which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with Petra about her book Remixing Reggaeton The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico published by Duke University Press and again I'm here with Petra Rivera Rideau and no Rideau is not a Spanish name <laughs> <laughs> no it's not French yeah yeah that, that, that's French that's a story for another day but you know she <laughs> she has other cultural connections as, as well not just yeah. American and Puerto Rican, but also some Creoles, you know, Haitian. Louisiana Creole. Yeah, Louisiana Creole, absolutely. So Petra is definitely a world scholar, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we, we certainly should say. But, yeah, I would love to see Petra remixing Reggaeton 2 from you, remixing yeah. Reggaeton 3, the Colombian version, right? <laughs> right. And so, you know, you mentioned going to Puerto Rico and, and, and talking to folks. So mostly use, I, I guess, you know, interviews. Was that your main way of, you know, you know, gathering some of your information or the other research techniques that you use? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I really think of this book as a very interdisciplinary okay. approach to the study of reggaeton, but but also really rooted in kind of cultural studies mm-hmm. work. And so um, I did talk to people. I talked to people, uh, young people who loved reggaeton or hated reggaeton, I talked to all of them. Um, because one of the things I, I learned is that reggaeton elicited very extreme reactions. Ah. I was there, it was sort of the height of its popularity, and people either thought it was just the best or thought it was just the worst. Um, and so people were really wanting to talk about their opinions. Um, I also looked at a lot of newspaper, Puerto Rican newspapers. Mm. I looked at, you know, um, Articles. So, so the first two chapters of the book talk about two different censorship campaigns that reggaeton endured. Mm-hmm. One in 1990s that was um, at the same time as this larger anti-crime initiative uh, that really targeted uh, working-class urban uh, communities in Puerto Rico that were racialized as black or non-white. And then in a second one in 2002 that was more like music video. It was about music videos mm-hmm. and women dancing in music videos. Um, And so to get information for those chapters, I looked at newspapers. I looked at, I was really interested in how the newspapers in Puerto Rico were presenting um, these censorship campaigns. And there were also, uh, these were big news stories, particularly the one in 2002 was a really big news story. And so there were lots of things like letters to the editor or columns, opinion Mm -hmm. pieces about it. So those were really useful for me as well. And then I also look at the artists themselves. So I think about, you know, their songs. I really like to talk about music video. I think music video is a really rich site for an analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm also interested in that and like the visual culture, things like album packaging. So what's on the cover of an album. Um, so I looked at all of those kinds of things. Um, and I also got some information for, in the last chapter of that book. I, I talk about what happened to reggaeton when Gasolina came out and when it um, entered the U.S. market in, uh, as backed by like major record companies. Okay. Um, so for those, I looked at U.S. newspapers, big ones like the New York Times, as well as a lot of uh, reggaeton artists were also covered in lots of hip-hop um, publications like right. Vibe magazine. Um, so I looked at all those kinds of materials for for the text. So um, I really think about it as an interdisciplinary thing. But I think the interviews were really important mm-hmm. for me because I certainly had my own opinions about reggaeton, but I wanted to hear what other people thought. And also it allowed me to 
get a, I think, a better understanding of how people were thinking about race in Puerto Rico at that time. Um, so those were really, really fruitful for me as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I talk sometime with, um, you know, authors on, on my podcast about, hey, every cell phone now has a recording device on it, you know, mm-hmm. a microphone or something. So everyone can, you know, get out there and do some interviews with their family members, their older relatives, people in their community. You know, everyone can do some of those kind of things. You don't have to have any kind of fancy recording equipment and you never know where those things will go. And, you know, yeah. you, you know, you may be the person that is recording history for your family. You know, that that older person, abuelo y abuela, that mm-hmm. may be, you know, exactly. others, grandfather, grandmother, that maybe others are not, you know, talking to. And you never know the importance of those things. And so, you know, don't don't underestimate interview techniques you know, as as research, and it could lead you to write a book like Remixing Reggaeton one day. You never know, right? Yeah. And Petra, you mentioned, you know, like packaging and album covers and things like that. I thought the cover for your book was, was really cool. So let's talk about yeah. that for a minute, you know, maybe, you know, if, if you can't see it, obviously this is a podcast, you can go to our New Books Network page, the African American Studies Channel page, and you'll see a picture of the book up there, there'll be a, sh- a short bio and some information about the book. You can click right through to um, purchase the book from Amazon, or you can uh, click to Petra's uh, page at her university or, you know, some of her personal stuff. You want to get in contact with her or find out more about her. It's all right there. And yeah. so, yeah, who, who is this artist on, on the cover and why did you choose it or the, or the, or the uh, publisher sometimes chooses it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is sort of a funny story. So, so the artist on the cover is someone named Tego Calderon, and mm-hmm. I have a chapter about him in the book. He's a really important artist. You know, we think about um, Daddy Yankee in the United States as the, the person who kind of opened the doors for reggaeton in the U.S., and I right. think he is in many ways. But in Puerto Rico, the the person who really kind of elevated reggaeton was Tego Calderon. And like I mentioned, you know, reggaeton had a long history in Puerto Rico. Um, You know, in the 80s, you had people like Vico C, who a lot of reggaeton artists describe as kind of like the godfather of the genre, Mm. major influence for them. He was someone who was listening to rap music from the United States. And rapping in Puerto Rico. And if you listen to some of Vico C's old work, you hear, um, you know, it sounds it sounds like rap from the late 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then reggaeton artists were also borrowing from dance hall samples. And like you mentioned, Shabba Rink a while ago, but, you know, um, his song Dembo, many people say, is the kind of basis for that beat, right, that reggaeton artists were listening mm-hmm. to. Combining, but they were combining all kinds of things and they were having parties and they were very similar to hip hop, you know, having parties and also um, recording cassette tapes and selling them. And at that time it was called underground music because mm-hmm. it was literally in like in the underground economy. And um, as I mentioned, you know, there was a censorship campaign in the mid 1990s in which uh, people were, the Puerto Rican government was concerned that reggaeton or underground as it was called was um, promoting things like drug use and crime through its lyrics and so um, that's when you start seeing a lot of anxiety about what reggaeton is going to introduce to um, the Puerto Rican population Mm -hmm. and particularly I think 
the Puerto Rican middle class population, right? Because they had been circulating informally for a long time and nobody really was paying a lot of attention to it. And then it started to be sold in places like malls. And then that uh. started. And so that censorship campaign, they, they went and they uh, confiscated these recordings from record stores um, and charged them with peddling obscenities. And then it got thrown out on the grounds of the First Amendment of the Constitution, because as a territory of the United States, sure, sure. it was governed by the U.S. Constitution. Um, so, but one of the things that's interesting about that, and then the subsequent, um, the subsequent censorship campaign in 2002, which, as I said, was about music videos. So that one, there was a lot of concern about representations of women in music videos. And it is absolutely the case that reggaeton, uh, well, you know, is a very hyper-masculine genre. It can often promote very problematic representations of women. And there were some, like, very racy music videos happening. Um, but this campaign was spearheaded by a woman, a Puerto Rican senator from the Puerto Rican Senate, uh, mm-hmm. Melda Gonzalez, who was in charge of a committee that uh, started this thing called the anti-pornography campaign, and they were trying to get uh, out pornography from from the media, um, uh. but they targeted reggaeton music videos. Um, and the the thrust of that campaign was to think about how to clean up these videos and make them better for a mainstream audience on the island. Okay. And so what was ironic about both of those censorship campaigns is they wound up, I think, giving quite a bit of publicity to this music, even though that was their intention. So because because they were covered in the newspapers and things like that, um, they yeah, they started getting some of these artists started getting publicity that they hadn't had before as underground artists. Right. Um, so shortly after the, the, the well, the other thing those censorship campaigns did was, again, like promote this kind of stereotype of reggaeton as hypersexual, as violent, as attached to drugs and all these kind of bad things. Um, and shortly after the anti-pornography campaign ended, Tego Calderon came out with an album and it was really celebrated by Puerto Ricans across class lines. Mm-hmm. Really an interesting thing, you know, Calderon is pretty unique, I think, as a reggaeton artist in that he really incorporates a lot of Puerto Rican musical traditions, particularly Afro-Puerto Rican folkloric traditions like bomba and plena, also old school salsa from the 1970s, mm-hmm. into his music. Um, and, and that's not very common in a lot of reggaeton uh, artists. He also has a lot of political lyrics about race and racism. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, these albums, you know, he has a song that I talk about in the book called Loisa, which is a song that talks about racism in Puerto Rico in mm-hmm. very explicit ways. So one of the things that's very interesting about Tego is that even Velda Gonzalez, the person who spearheaded this 2002 censorship campaign, mm-hmm. endorsed his album. Wow. As like this really great album, right? And so it really opened the doors for a lot of reggaeton singers. Um, and it's very ironic to me because he's criticizing many of the same people that are embracing him, right? <laughs> you know, even though he's criticizing their racial politics, right? Um, so I find that to be really interesting. And um, he is on the cover. And I, I also love the cover. They had a great designer do the cover. Um, yeah, great. He's really important to the history of reggaeton. And he's really also just a generally very interesting artist. So both musically and lyrically. 
obviously. Um, he also, I would say about Ted was like, he's a really a student of Puerto Rican popular music mm-hmm. and Puerto Rican music in particular. I'm also a student of hip hop, right? And you can really tell that when you listen to his work. Um, and he's still around and he's still making some really good records. So I encourage people to check him out. Tego Calderon. T-E-G-O, right? Yes, T-E-G-O is his first name. Yeah. And correct me if, if I'm wrong, but uh, he he starred in a few of those Fast and Furious movies, did he not? He did, yes. He was in Fast and Furious. I haven't seen those, but yeah. <laughs> and, and also um, Don Omar, who's another yes. very popular reggaeton singer. Both of them have been in Fast and Furious films. Right, because yeah. I, I was first introduced to him through that. I mean, he had a kind of a bit of a comedic role. In yeah, those movies, and I think that's part of the reason why. And now that you explain that to me, I could it makes more sense now that he didn't appear in any more because I think he felt like he's he was kind of being exploited, made kind of a com you know you know maybe a caricature of a you know of a, a Caribbean person or um, you know a Spanish speaking person. Um, but he was in a couple of them with Don Omar. I think they were like yeah. they were like a team. Right. Uh, yeah, I've read about these movies, but I haven't seen them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, again, when you do your biography of uh, Tigo Petra, make sure that you come back to see me on the New Books Network. <laughs> I'm giving sure. you all these. I'm giving you all these projects to do, Petra. Yes. That? Yes, I'm noting them down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, this is a great cover. So you do, you did get to choose because some, you know, some authors tell me they don't get to choose their their, their um, cover images, but you did get to choose yeah. this one. Well, no, they gave me some different choices. Okay. I was not a very helpful author. You know, they have you <laughs> explaining what kind of cover you want, and I didn't have any ideas. And I actually didn't think I wanted to, wanted to have an artist on the cover, um, but they gave me some different choices, and I just really liked that one. Ah, I okay. think it's really beautiful. So, um Everybody was enthusiastic about it. And then my best friend who works in marketing, I remember showing her the different covers. Um, and she was like, you should pick that one because everybody <laughs> knows who Tego is. And so, yeah, it worked out. But I, I, I love the cover. I think yeah. it's great. I mean, it's great. And it definitely attracts people. to the Yes. Book. And yes. that's very important when you're talking about general audiences and, and, and books outside of the academy. You know, you want to have something attractive that draws people in. So I think it's great. And how about the title, Remixing Reggaeton? Did they come up with that title or was that yours? <laughs> that's, that's another good story. So I had a title, a, a really, like, not very interesting title. <laughs> my editor and the marketing group at Duke also sort of, we, we talked about changing the title and um, we came up with that one. So, yeah. Yeah, I can't take full credit for the title, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, I mean, that's what that's what they do. I mean, you know, we do the scholarship and they do the marketing yeah. and all we those kinds of things. After titles, though, so. Uh, hey, there you go. <laughs> but um, you know, it's I, I like to you know talk about some of these kind of things on the podcast as well, so people can understand that you know those things are important. And it's not always the author that comes up with the book titles. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The images exactly. and, and there's and a the, lot of people involved in making a book besides yes. the author. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the author whom we are here with today is Pet, Petra Rivera Rideau. She is an assistant professor of American Studies at Wellesley College, and the book we're talking about, published by Duke University Press, is Remixing Reggaeton. 
And I'll give you another little rendition of my reggaeton beat, Pedro. I was waiting for you to hit some lyrics for me now. Next time I do that, you have to. That's not my forte. You're a scholar, not an artist. I'm a fan. I'm a fan person. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, you're a fan, but you don't underestimate yourself. You're also a great scholar. And you did a wonderful job introducing and, you know, maybe not necessarily introducing, but providing more information about reggaeton, either introducing or providing more information about reggaeton for people like myself who are fans of the music or for people who are just interested in Puerto Rican history, musical history, you know, the African diaspora, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and the connections between reggaeton and reggae and hip hop and cumbia and merengue and, you know, so on and so forth, all your different salsa you mentioned, all your different types of um, yeah. Um, Caribbean and island music and you know many don't don't realize that the African connection to these types of music is very strong you know they don't understand until they start really kind of researching and you mentioned with Tigo there that he understands that you know yeah. even with the beats and the drums and you know the dancing and there's strong connections Latin America Central America even into South America with Brazilian and you know and some of your your other um, Spanish speaking and Portuguese speaking uh, countries down there yeah, and that was really important to me. I mean, one of my other kind of goals of this book, I wanted to talk about the history of reggaeton and race relations in Puerto Rico, but I also really wanted to insert Puerto Rico into the conversation about the African diaspora. Um, and I think that this is profoundly important. I mean, um, Puerto Rico has this historical reputation of what they call the whitest of the Antilles. Wow. Um, and... And I think that both at various moments in history, you know, the Puerto Rican elite and also the American government, U.S. American government, mm. has been invested in presenting Puerto Rico as white or very racially mixed and non-black. Mm. Um, but as you mentioned, Puerto Rican culture, Puerto Rican history is very indebted to many black people and uh, African-based cultural practices. And and. You know, reggaeton to me, it's marketed as Latin music, and there's, I think, often an assumption that Latin music is distinct from, you know, so-called black music genres. But a yeah. lot of African influences are part of Latin music, right? So we wouldn't have salsa, we wouldn't have merengue, we wouldn't have bachata, we wouldn't have reggaeton, we wouldn't have a lot of the Latin music genres that are so popular if we didn't have African diasporic populations and cultural practices in Latin America. And so that was really important to me, Um to, uh, to to just, it seems so basic in many ways to think like, oh, we have to include Puerto Rico in the African diaspora. But for some people, that actually is controversial. Um, to me, that seems ridiculous. To me, it seems like very obvious that Puerto Rico should be part of the African mm. diaspora. But, you know, um, so, so that was really important. And, and it's actually a really interesting time right now for research about blackness and race relations in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Um, there are several really great books that have just come out or that are coming out uh, that were very influential for me. Zaire um, de Flores has a great book about uh, public housing and okay. racial segregation in Puerto Rico. Isar Goudreau, who's an anthropologist, wrote an excellent book called Scripts of Blackness about the politics of folklore and blackness in Ponce, Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. um, there's a wonderful scholar and friend of mine, Marisol Lebron, who's coming out with a great 
book about policing and race and class in Puerto Rico. So there's wow. there's a lot of people starting to um, there's there's a lot of discussion about race in Puerto Rico happening, and it's not. I don't want to give the impression that this never was discussed before, but I, I think it's a really great time right now for people who are interested in those kind of topics. There's a lot of really great scholarship coming out um, by a lot of really diverse scholars, sociologists, anthropologists, mm-hmm. American studies, cultural studies people. So it's a great time to be doing this work, I think. Right. And you're right there with them, Petra. Don't don't Thanks. don't uh, underestimate yourself. You're right there. <laughs> You're right there yeah. with them. Remix yeah. and reggaeton is right there with them. That's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned some of those titles as well for, you know, folk who are listening that may be interested in exploring some other aspects of, you know, uh, you know, Puerto Rico and, um, you know, anthropology or, or other so- social science aspects or, you know, Puerto Rico where, where it fits into, you know, the African diaspora. And so definitely check out some of those authors and some of those titles that Petra mentioned, and if you need to rewind rewind back a little bit and you can play it again so you can write some of them. Yeah. <laughs> and there, a lot of them are in the bibliography, so when you get there the you book, go. you can go to the Works Cited page and look them up. Right, <laughs> but read the book first before you go to the Works Cited page, right? Make sure you go through and, and read right. it first. All right. Well, I don't want to take up all day because I could sit here and talk with you about reggae tone <laughs> and, and do that beat all day long, Petra. But I'm not going to do that because I'm going to let you earn earn your uh, main check, which is being an outstanding professor there at Wellesley College. But thank you so much for you know taking some time with us today. Um, you know the audience I'm certainly you know appreciates it, and you know this is great. You know there are probably some people listening that don't know much about reggaeton, and they may be um, interested in going to check it out now. And would you be okay if people want to email you or contact you if they want to? Sure. I'm always happy to hear from people about what they think about the book. I'm also like always very happy to get new songs from people. So people <laughs> often send me things, you know, have you ever heard about this artist? Cause I think it is very analogous to hip hop. So mm-hmm. there are still like new artists who come out, you know, sort of underground or, you know, they're on YouTube or whatever. And then they kind of blow up. Right. This right. story I'm hearing a lot of pop music. So I get a lot of uh, suggestions from people. I'm very happy to hear from other people about what they think um, and any sort of leads they have for me. I'm always mm-hmm. really interested in hearing new stuff. So if you're a reggaeton artist out there and you've got a hot track, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really to, want to hear it. Send it to Petra, or maybe if they <laughs> want to be interviewed, right? You know, or maybe they have some connect. Definitely as an artist. You know, yeah, I mean, I, that's also something I'm really interested in. I, I have a, I had a little side project that I published a few papers on a group called Los Racas, who mm-hmm. are a, a Panamanian rap group from the Bay Area, San Francisco mm-hmm. area. And one of the pieces that I published um, is like a transcript of an interview I did with them. And so that's something else I'm really committed to as a scholar is, you know, um, I think that a lot of scholars, we have this reputation of being very detached from what we do, from what we study, but I think it's, I've always been motivated by putting out the voices and experiences of people who have been neglected by scholarship for a long time, and so I'm really proud of that, that piece with Los Racas, um, so yeah, so if you're an artist and you have cool stuff and you want to be interviewed, you should also email me, that'd be awesome, <laughs> right, see what we do together. Wellesley College, right? Uh, yes. Petra Rivera Rideau. Look, look her up. 
and um, definitely send her, send her your hot track. She she can't get you on MTV or anything, but oh, I can't do that. But but you maybe you can make it into one of her publications, right? Into an academic journal. We'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. And Petra, before we you know we go, that that brings up a good point. Would you like to share with the audience any of your other current projects or future projects yeah. or things that you have in the pipeline? Yeah, I, I'm. So I actually am working on a project that I think of as remixing Triggerton Volume Two. Actually, um, <laughs> that is uh, related to what I said earlier about the kind of infiltration of reggaeton into pop, mm -hmm. both Latin pop and U.S. mainstream pop. Mm -hmm. um, I've been really thinking about what people call Latin urban music now. Okay. So reggaeton has been considered an urban genre, and urban is complicated, but it's Similar, anal again, analogous to what we might think of like urban as hip hop and R&B, mm. right? Tied to black urban communities, Latin urban, I argue, functions in a similar way and incorporates reggaeton and also bachata, which is a Dominican uh, guitar-based mm -hmm. love song. Mm -hmm. So I'm really thinking about the racial politics of Latin urban music, and I've been writing about uh, a lot of different artists um, and kind of what happens to the mainstream. What, have, what are the racial politics of the mainstreaming of reggaeton? So, for example, um, one person I've been talking a lot about lately is Enrique Iglesias. Okay. Some people may remember from, like, Bailamos in 1999, mm -hmm. right? Um, but, he, you know, he has a long career since 1995 of singing dance pop tracks. And then uh, in 2014, some people may have heard this song Bailando that he did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm actually recorded four versions of Bailando, Spanish, English, Brazilian Portuguese, and wow. uh, continental Portuguese. It was a huge hit for him. Um, and a lot of his subsequent hits have been basically reggaeton songs, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of the beat. And um, so I've been writing about him and, and the sort of politics of whiteness around reggaeton and Enrique Iglesias's, you know, rebirth as a reggaeton artist in his 40s, right? And then um, also groups like Gente de Zona, people may know. Um, this is another really interesting thing, that Gente de Zona is an Afro-Cuban. They were one of the most popular reggaeton groups in Cuba. Okay. And now they are in the United States. Um, but they're interesting because they retain their, you know, Cuban citizenship and their U.S. residency. So they live in Miami, but they're also still attached to Cuba. They're not, you know, Cuban exiles who left Cuba permanently. Oh. Um, and so they have been connected to Enrique Iglesias and also are on Mark Anthony's new record label. So they've sort of become rebranded, I think, as these tropical salsa kind of artists as opposed to reggaeton artists. So they're an example in my new project of thinking about how black Latino artists, right, what are the, how has the mainstreaming of this Latin urban music affected their performance possibilities? Mm. So those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about in my new project. And then I'm also doing um, an ethnographic, like very, it's very slow going, but I'm in the midst of, you know, um, talking to people about Zumba. So one of the ah. things from this project is, you know, as a graduate student, I was quite stressed out. And so the main way I dealt with my stress <laughs> was to exercise, and which is something I do not enjoy, but I really like <laughs> realize that I like Zumba because they play reggaeton in Zumba all the time, or at least they did when I was taking it in Berkeley. Um, and so I've taken Zumba classes all over the country, everywhere I've lived, right? California, New York, 
Appalachia because I was at Virginia Tech before Wellesley, now the Boston area. Um, and every class is very different and, and people have very different ideas about Latin music depending on what class you're in. Mm. So, you know, when I was in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is a small college town in the middle of Appalachia, um, I was in a class that was a lot of uh, women from Latin America who were engineers or biologists or chemists because Virginia Tech is a STEM school. Mm -hmm. um, they were in Appalachia to work at Tech and they were in Zumba to like be with each other and listen to Spanish music mm -hmm. and get some exercise, right? And um, then I've been to classes like here, um, Wellesley's the suburb of Boston. I've been to classes, you know, in this area at some very fancy, you know, elite not, well, I don't want to say elite, but like very expensive studios where mm -hmm. a class will cost $15, for example, for a one hour class where, so there's a predominantly, you know, white American group of women. It's almost always women who are doing Zumba, um, who have a whole other kind of idea about Latin music and sexuality and stuff like that that are informing mm -hmm. their ideas about the class. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm, I'm just going, to Zumba classes and talking to people about Zumba. So if you have strong feelings about Zumba or you know of a cool class, I've, I've also, people have also started sending me like recommendations for Zumba classes. Wow. Um, so I've heard about like a ratchet Zumba class that happens in New York. I've never been to it, but I'm interested. Um, and heard of like different kind of public health programs targeting Latina um, women that use Zumba to as like diabetes prevention and stuff like that. So if you know mm. of any Zumba programs. I'm also happy to hear from you, um, so I could check yeah, those out. So those are the two things that I'm working on right now, um, wow. and I'm pretty excited about them. We'll see uh, what happens, but I think they're going to be good, and, and I'm uh, I'm really excited about the. Like I said before, you know, there's just so much to do. Mm -hmm. One of the things I learned from this project is how many gaps there are and how much work there is to do and I try to you know motivate my students to go out and do this research and I hope that some people listening might be interested in going out and writing things or because I, I mean there's just so much and, and it's just a, a million possibilities so right. those are the two I'm attached to right now but we'll All see right. what else happens. Well, that sounds <laughs> that sounds pretty good and hopefully you'll get some contacts on that Zumba I think that's yeah. There are many send people. Zumba classes. Send them to me. I love them. Yeah. yeah. Zumba also, if people are interested, you know, they have a cruise that you can go to. Um, if you're an instructor, they have a convention. They have all kinds of stuff. Um, so they have a magazine. So there's all kinds of ways that you can be in, inserted into the Zumba world. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what the title of your Zumba book is going to be. <laughs> Either. It's going to be cool. Fluorescent. It's going to have a lot of fluorescent colors. Oh, yes. And so I want to get a commitment from you right now for that Zumba book. I want you right back here <laughs> on the African-American. I'll work on it. Yeah. African-American Studies Channel. Well, Petra, it was, it was great fun talking with you. And I could talk with you all day, but I know you got to get to work as as do I. But thank you so much for your, your time. And we're talking about your, your upcoming Zumba project, but we're here mainly talking with you today about Remixing Reggaeton, the Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico, published by Duke University Press. And so we're going to close it out here with Petra Rivera Rideau. She is an assistant professor at Wellesley College in American Studies. And 
thank you again so much. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed reggaeton. One more time before we go. I'm trying to get Petra, you're not going to do any lyrics, are you? No, I'm not. I'm so sorry. I have a lot of skills, but that's not But that's not, that's apparently Zumba. We'll find out soon. Yeah. You'll be on the cover of that Zumba book. It's going to be you. DVD. Instructional DVD. <laughs> so, anyway, so well, thank, thank you. you so much for having me and it's, for it's letting the book. Pleasure. I hope people enjoy it. I'm, I'm sure that they will. And y'all go check out Remix and Reggaeton. Petra did a, a great job. And again, this is not just a black scholarship book. This is for anybody interested in music history, African diaspora history, Puerto Rican history, whatever the case may be. This is this is a great book. And there and as she mentioned earlier, there's not not a whole lot of books on on that topic and and similar topics. So you know, delve into this, pick it up, and become educated. All right. And so we're going to close out today. And this is Jane Stansel, your host of the African American Studies Channel on the New Books Network. And Petra, can you tell our audience goodbye? Bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to go do some Zumba now. And we'll see you next time on the New Books Network. Have a great day. Peace and love. All right, we're back. This is James Stansel of the African American Studies Channel, the New Books Network. I hope you enjoyed that interview with the author of Remixing Reggaeton, The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico. And as you heard her say there, she's got future projects in the works. Uh, one of them is on uh, Zumba. So if you have any uh, Zumba information, Zumba classes, or you want to know more about Zumba or, or talk with her, maybe you could potentially be in her book. Contact her up there at Wellesley, as well as uh, you, you guys who, and ladies who are interested in reggaeton. If you've got some new music or if you're a reggaeton artist, get in contact with her that way as well. And everybody, check out her book. This is a really good book. It's an interesting book, and you know, it was a you know a, a bit of a passion project for her. Just like many of us, you know, in the academy, we really pursue those things we're interested in. And she really wanted to make reggaeton an academic topic. So kudos to you there, Petra. You did a great job. So we're gonna leave it there, and we're gonna see you next time on the New Books Network's African American Studies Channel. I'm your host, James Stansel. Peace and love. Thank you.